0: So the Gospel of John, chapter 17. It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. And uh, and before before we start looking at the text, we're going to pray one more time and ask for God's help as we look at His Word because we need His help to understand it. I really need His help to teach it. So let's let's pray our God in heaven, we come to You one more time and we need Your help, Lord. We need Your help. We know that on our own we're not going to be able to understand what we need to understand. Lord, I pray for the blessing that comes from Your own hand upon the preaching of the Word of God. Help me to preach and teach clearly. Help me to remember everything that I need to remember to say and help me to forget everything that I shouldn't say. Lord, help us. Help us to behold Christ. Help us to behold Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in John chapter 17, I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. By the way, that's a really great verse to just memorize. I I find that verse coming up a lot in my own thinking. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. I have manifested Your name to the men whom You have given Me out of the world. They were Yours, You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your Word. Now they have known that all things which You have given Me are from You. For I have given to them the words which You have given Me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. So what we're looking at this morning in this, in this chapter is what has Uh, is what we've come to call the great high priestly prayer of the Lord. The great high priestly prayer of the Lord. And I want us to to walk through some of these details here and catch us up to speed before before we start glancing down at at verses 6 through 10 this morning. In verse 1, he starts off by saying, Father, glorify me. He starts off by praying for the glorification of the entire Godhead. And what he mentions in verse 2, if you look, it says that he has been given all authority. He's the king over all flesh. Jesus Christ is the king over all humanity. And why, why is Is He the King? Well, it's so that He should give eternal life to as many as as have been given Him. And what's that eternal life? And this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. So here's what I want want us to understand. If Jesus Christ came to bring eternal life, verse 2, and if eternal life is the knowledge of God, verse 3, then, what Jesus Christ came to bring was the knowledge of God. You see that? You see how that logic works? Um, so, what he then says in verse 4, he says, I have glorified you. I've done it. I've glorified you. Well, how did he do it? Well, I've finished the work. I've finished the work. Christ Jesus was given a task to do, and he finished the work. But not only did He glorify the Father by finishing the work, but He also glorified Him by verse 6, manifesting His name, by showing forth who God is, by revealing God to to the people who had been given to Him. And now what He's about to do in verse 9, is He says, I pray for them. I pray for these people whom You have given Me. I pray for them. And, and, and we're going to look in the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, the contents of that, of that prayer for, for Christians. But what we have in verses 6 through 10 is some descriptions of who God's people are. Okay, So that was a really long introduction to say that. In verses 6 through 10, what you have is a picture of what the Christian looks like you have a picture of what a disciple of Christ looks like okay and and after he talks about who the disciple looks like that's when he says in verse 9 i pray for them i pray for the disciples i pray for i pray for these people so last time what we saw and I actually am going to add a little bit to what we talked about last time because there are, there are some things that I would like to emphasize. In verse 6, what we saw is that Christians have been shown God. Christians have been shown God. Christians have not been shown God with their eyes, but they have come to know who God is. So the logical conclusion then is If you haven't come to know who God is, well, you're not actually a Christian. So let's look at verse 10, or verse 6, I'm sorry. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. And uh, you remember what we said was Christ Jesus manifested God to these men who were in front of Him not only by teaching them about God, but by also being right in front of them because he himself is God. Turn back to chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 14, 8 and 9. Jesus, yes, of John. Of, um, maybe you can relate to this situation. Maybe you can relate to this situation. The Lord says in verse 7, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. And from now on you know Him and have seen Him. But then one of Jesus' followers is a guy named Philip. In verse 8, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, well, if only I could see God, then that would be enough. And so He says... Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. But look at Jesus' answer. It's very important. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's pretty profound. That is profound. He who has seen Christ has seen the Father. Have you seen Christ? Have you seen Christ? Not with your eyeball, right? But do you know how you see Christ? Right in here. You read about him. You read about him. And in reading about him, in seeing who he is, seeing what he taught, seeing the things that he promises, seeing the things that he did for you, that's seeing Christ. That is seeing Christ. So Christians have been shown God. They have in 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 seeing Christ, they have seen God. That's true of every Christian. So that was point 1. The second point is that Christians belong to Christ. If you're a Christian, you are the property of Jesus Christ. You know if you find someone's pocket knife, sometimes they'll be an engraving on the handle. You know, maybe it's MRM Malachi Robert Moody. And whoever finds that knows that belongs to Malachi because it's stamped right on there. Well look at look at John seventeen verse six. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. These people don't belong to anyone else. They belong to me. They don't belong to the world. They don't belong to the United States government. No matter how much they try, they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're Christ's. He's your king. king. Christians belong to Christ. But the third thing that we see is that Christians keep and receive Christ. The word of God. And we see that in verses 6 through 8. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you gave me. Note, I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. Okay, so stop and ask the question. What's the difference between receiving and keeping? What's the difference between receiving and keeping? Because it says in verse 8 that, These people have received the words, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. But then in verse 6 it says, And they have kept your word. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you know the difference between receiving and keeping. Once you've got it, you hang on to it. Once you've got it, you hang on to it. And what's true of every single Christian is that once you have the Word, you hang on to it. You conform your life to it. Once Christ has given you the Holy Scriptures, you receive them and you keep them. You obey them. Turn back to to John 14 again. And look look at verse 21. Many people say, Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And to them, the Lord would ask this question. You say you love me. Okay. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them It is he who loves me. He who has my commandments, there's the receiving, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. What verse 21 is not teaching is this. He's not saying in order to love me, in order to gain eternal life you must keep my commandments. You you can see the way that he's worded it here in verse twenty one is it's a it's a proof. It's a proof of the love. You see that, right? He who has my commandments and keeps him, it's he who loves me. If you say you love him, well you keep you keep his commandments. And that's true of every Christian. Um so does, does that make sense? Are we, all, are we all clear on that point? But now I, I want to show this to you here in John chapter 17. Notice that receiving God's word and keeping God's word are the proof that they were elected before the foundation of the world. That was, that was a big mouthful, but let's look at it in verse 6. At the end of verse 6, he says, They were yours, you gave them to me. So if you ask yourself the question, How do I know that I have been given to Christ? How do I know that I'm in verse 6? Well, the answer is what immediately follows, and they have kept your word. They've kept your word. How do you know that you've been given to Christ? Well, do you keep his word? If the answer is yes, then that's a proof of your real life in Christ. That's a proof that you're a disciple of Christ. If you keep his word, now can you do that perfectly? No, you can't do that perfectly. But that's what you strive to do. You strive to keep the word of Christ. Um. So what I'm saying is that the proof that you have been given to Christ from before the foundation of the world is it is it manifests itself in how you receive His Word. Okay. Um, so let me let me try to explain it this way because some people do really struggle with the doctrine of election, and if you have questions about that, I'd be happy to answer your questions. But but some people really do get all tied up in knots, thinking, oh, well, if I'm not elect, well, what right do I have to believe in Christ? If I was never given to Him, what right do I have to come to Him? I don't know. Well, not only that, I, I don't even know who, who else has been given to Christ to, to believe in Him. So, to whom should I share the Gospel? Do right? you guys understand the question? Um, we, we can't understand the secret of election but by this verse. But by these verses. How do you know if you have been given to Christ? Well, have you kept His word? How do you know that you have been given to Christ? Verse 8, They have received His word. So, so here's here's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is if you ever worry about, oh no, have I really been given to Christ? Like I wasn't there in eternity past when God was electing people. I wasn't there. How do I know that He chose me? Well the answer is right there. And this, this should this should really just this should really just kind of solidify your worry. In, instead of instead of looking for some kind of like E mark that has been put on someone's arm, you know, if uh, maybe it's right there on their on their wrist, I've got an E there, and I was born with it, like a like a birthmark, and uh, and that tells me that I'm elect. Well, it doesn't happen. Do you, you guys, you guys, see, I know I'm kind of struggling through this, but the proof that you were given to Christ is whether or not you receive His word. That's the bottom line, whether or not you receive his word. Um, now, here is the fourth thing, and this is really, really glorious. The fourth thing that, that is true of Jesus Christ's disciples that are true of Christians is that Christians know and believe Christ's origin. Okay, That was a mouthful, but Christians know that Christ is from heaven. Christians know that Christ is God. So look at that again in verses 7 through 8. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. In other words, everything that I have, Christ is speaking, everything that I have is from you, is from the Father. Verse 8. For I have given them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. That I came forth from you. That, what that line means is they have come to really know that Jesus Christ is from heaven. You remember that illustration that I gave last week about, about the email and the letter? Sometimes it, sometimes you get an email from, from someone claiming to be a prince in Africa, and he says, I need $2,500 for my ransom. Click on the link and donate and help me out. As soon as you get that email, you know it's a scam. You have no business believing it. But when you get a letter in the mail from the IRS, and you see that seal there on the, on the letterhead, you you all of a sudden pay attention and you listen because you know where it came from, right? Well, that's the point. And have known surely that I came forth from you. If Jesus Christ is really from heaven, then that means that we need to listen to Him. And what is true of every Christian is that you and I know truly that He really is from heaven that he's not some scammer from Africa. He's the God of all flesh who came down to show us who God is. He came down to show us himself. But now, I, this is what I learned this week. It's really, really neat. How is it that they came to know that Jesus Christ is from heaven? Do you guys understand that question? How did we come to know that Jesus Christ is from heaven? Well, look at verse 7. Or uh, verse 8, I'm sorry. For I have given to them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. So here's what that means if you work backwards, okay? You know that Christ came from heaven. You received his words because he gave you the words. So, what what the line is is that when Christ through his word tells you something, that resulted in their believing that he was from heaven. Do you see do you see the logic there? So now this is the really, really glorious thing, okay? This is the really glorious thing. What that means is that it is God's word which proves to people above everything else that Jesus Christ is from heaven. And I want to illustrate this to you um, in this way. In John chapter seven, there were some, you, you might call them, Policemen, they were soldiers who had come to arrest Christ, and they came back without Christ. They left him behind, and their bosses said, What did you do? And you know what their answer was? No one has ever spoken like this man. They pointed to his words. No one has spoken like him. He's different from, he speaks differently than everyone else. It says elsewhere in the scripture that he teaches with authority. Well, how could he teach with authority? Well, because it, he's the king, he's God. And no one can speak like God can speak. So now I want to I want to show this to you in John chapter 6. This is really really great. John chapter 6 verse 66. What has just happened is Jesus Christ has fed thousands of people. With five loaves of bread and two fish. Everybody knows that story. Everybody knows that story. But what ends up happening is that the Lord Jesus Christ then begins to teach all these people who had come to him for food, and they all start leaving in droves. They can't handle what he's speaking, they can't handle his words. They're too heavy. They're they're just too difficult to understand. So now that's the situation John six, verse sixty six. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, that is, these, these twelve students, these twelve disciples who are with them, he turns to them and he says, Do you also want to go away? Do you also want to go away? And one of the disciples, Simon Peter, was sitting there. And he had witnessed the miracle firsthand. He saw it with his own eyes. And this is what that guy said. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He came to see, he confessed with his mouth at that point, I know that you came from heaven. And what was the reason that he gave? He had just witnessed the miracle with his own eyes and he forgot all about the miracle. Isn't that incredible? He didn't say, No, I'm sticking with you because I saw you make bread out of nothing. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And what is so wonderful, what is so wonderful is that you have His words. You have His words right in front of you. And through the words, those compel your soul to express with your mouth, there is no one like this. I can't go anywhere else. I can't. Buddhism has nothing on this. Allah has nothing on this. The New Age has nothing on this. There's there's nothing like this. You alone have the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. And through those words, Christians are compelled and we know where he came from. We know where he came from. And I I learned that this, this week from this passage and it was really, really great. It was really great to see that it's not the miracles that just prove where Christ is from it's his words which prove where he's from. It's his words which prove where he's from do you know his words? Do you know his words? do you struggle like do you struggle with doubt sometimes in your inmost being do you sometimes wrestle oh I don't really know if he's actually real I don't know if Christianity is just is just a made-up story? We'll hop in the words and find out. You can't afford to not. You have to get in there and see whether or not He's the Son of God from heaven. And that's, that is the tool that He's given you to know where He's from. And if He's from heaven, then here's the conclusion. You can bank your entire existence on Him. This entire life now, in your entire eternity. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for because I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And what's the result? And have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed. They have believed that you sent me. That's where we stand. Grounded on the word of God. You remember that song that we sang last week? How firm a foundation you you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith. In his excellent word. Firm foundation. So now here, here's the here's the fifth thing that is true of Christ's disciples. Christians belong to and are protected by God. Christians belong to and are protected by God. Look at, look at verse nine. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. So you see that phrase, those whom you have given me, Christ owns a people. They've, they've, been, they've been initialed. And he says very clearly, I don't pray for the world, I pray for them whom you have given me. I pray for them. I pray for them. And just stop and think about that for a moment. Think about everything that he's already said in verses 1 and following. In verse 6 he said, "I've, I've manifested your name. They know you. These people know you. They have been given to Christ as his possession It says that they have received the words of God and they've known and they've believed, but he doesn't stop with that. And that that was something that struck me as well. It's like he he evidently was not satisfied with that. He says all of these things are true. You, as a Christian, you know who God is. You've been shown it. He's taught you. You've seen it. You've believed. But even though all of that is true, Christ gave one more thing, and He said, "I pray for them." It's like just heaping blessing upon blessing. Do you do you see that there? I pray for them. It comes. It comes right after everything else. And what He's doing, what He's doing, is He is. Um, is he's doing the work of a priest. The priest of the Old Testament would, would work for God's people on behalf of God. They would present the case of God's people to God. Uh, you, you might compare it to something of an attorney. Okay, A priest basically acted like, attorney, like an attorney on behalf of his client. The priest would present the case of his people to God. And that's what Christ is doing when he says, "I pray for them." Now, why is he why is he saying, "I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me?" Why is he talking about this ownership? Well, what he's doing, what he's doing is he's giving is he's is he's bolstering up the reasons why the prayer should be answered. Did that make sense? I'll say it like this. If you look there at verse 9, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. If these people belong to Christ, but not only that, for they are yours. Not only do they belong to Christ, but they still belong to the Father as well, for they are yours. If, if you belong to God he's going to hear the prayer because he's got a vested interest in you. Did, did that make sense? Um, turn over to Luke chapter 18 to see this played out. Luke chapter 18. It's uh, it's actually just the next, the, the next book to the left. Luke chapter 18. Uh, keep your finger in John 17 because um, we'll be back there in just a minute. And what the Lord Jesus Christ does is He tells a story about a widow who was running into some problems and she needed to get a judge involved to help her out. But this judge was something of a crook. He didn't believe in God and, and he really didn't want to help this lady out. But she just kept coming and saying, you've got to help me. 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 And eventually, eventually the judge listens and he says, all right, I'll help you out. But it's not because I like you and it's not because I even believe in God. It's because you're wearing me out. Okay? So, if you're a Christian, maybe sometimes you think your prayers work that way. Maybe sometimes you think that you pray the same prayers again and again to wear God out and somehow manipulate Him to answer you. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Look at verse. look at Luke 18, six through eight. Hear then what the unjust judge said. In other words, the unjust judge helped the lady out." Verse seven, "And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. But do you see that phrase his own elect, his own elect, his his people whom he loves, his church? If 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 you belong to him, of course he's going to hear you. He's got a vested interest in you. And so and so what that does is it just illustrates it. Um Illustrates what, what is happening in John 17. Now, I want to I point this out uh, in one more place in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And that's a couple books to the right. Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to look in particular at verses 27 through 25. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, this needs to bolster your faith. This needs to make you courageous. This needs to give you joy when you're discouraged and disheartened and when you feel beaten down. Because these are just wonderful things that Jesus Christ is doing for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 and following. Also, there were many priests. There were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. What that verse is talking about is back in the Old Testament temple, how many priests were there that that worked in the temple to serve God? There were lots and lots and lots of priests. Well, why were there lots and lots of priests? Well, because they kept dying. They just kept dying. You get to be 85 years old and then you die and there's got to be someone to come up and, and, and still be a priest. So that, that's what it's talking about in verse 23. There are so many priests because all the priests keep dying. Verse 24, but he, because he continues forever, he doesn't die has an unchangeable priesthood. He's priest forever. He's priest forever. There to help His people forever. Therefore, now here's the conclusion. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. There's a lot in that verse. Let's look at it and break it down. Therefore, He is able to save to the uttermost. Able to save. Able to save. What does that mean? Able to save. Able to give them eternal life. Able to save them from destruction. He is able to save. Well, mostly, is He able to pull them mostly out of hell? Therefore, He is able to save to the uttermost, completely, all the way. Who? Who is He doing this for? Those who come to God through Him. If you're in Christ, there's nothing more secure than that. There's nothing more secure than that. He lives as a priest forever to save you to the uttermost as you come to God through him now here's the other thing if that weren't enough since he always lives to make intercession what does that what is that since he always lives to make intercession that means to pray to pray for them you see that since he always lives to to make intercession for them so so it's, it's like this, it's like this. Tying it together, John 17, 9, I pray for them. I pray for them. I pray for them as the priest. When you get a text in the morning from from your brother or sister in the Lord, in, in great kindness, they just say, hey, I wanted to let you know that I was praying for you this morning. For whatever reason, you were just on my mind and I was praying for you this morning. When you get that text, you feel encouraged, you feel happy, you just think, man, that's great. And and I I ought to do that for them. I just I, I ought to you, you know it just gives you this this bolster in your soul. But here's the wonderful thing. It's not that your brother or sister prayed for you. It it's that but infinite but infinitely greater Jesus Christ praying for you. Do you have that? Is that you? Is He praying for you? If you're not in Christ, then He's not. But if you're His, if you've received His Word, if you keep His Word, if you have trusted in Him, then He prays for you. He prays for you. To save you to the uttermost. Look at verse 10. Back in John 17, I'm sorry, John 17:10. I'm actually going to start in, in 9. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. What Christ is saying there is everything that I have. This is the way that the this is the way that the Greek works. Everything that I have belongs to you. Everything that I have belongs to you and everything that you have belongs to me. Which is kind of a big statement. Let's think about it. Look at it. Look at it. You can say the first part. And you should say the first part everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Everything. Everything. But you can't say the second part. Everything that you have is mine. At least not by right. There is one person, Jesus Christ, sent from heaven, who in his divine right, and say in prayer everything that you have is mine. That's incredible. that's incredible. He's just he's just saying it once again. He's just saying I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just like any other person. I'm God. Everything that you have is mine. Wow. So now, but, but, but what he's focusing on here, look, look back at verse 9, what he's focusing on is the people that belong to him. Okay? You see that? I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and everything that is mine, including my people, are yours. And everything that is yours, including your people, are mine. Like that, That's the basic meaning of verse 10. So why is he saying that? Why is he saying that? He is saying this not because God needs to know that that Christ has a people. Did that make sense? Um, Okay. It's like this. If you go to the grocery store, and you bring your daughter with you to the grocery store, um, and someone in the grocery store is is being rude to your daughter. You might approach them and say, "Hey, don't talk like that. That's my daughter," and your daughter's standing right there. Well, your daughter knows that that you're related. She didn't need to know that. She didn't need to know that at all. But what you're doing is you're expressing the relationship in order, to, in order to accomplish something. This is my daughter. Don't speak to her that way. So in verse 10, when he says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, God doesn't need to know that. The Father doesn't need to know that. He knows that already. But the disciples needed to hear that. The disciples who were there needed to hear I belong to God. And what that means then is that of course he's going to answer this prayer because he has a vested interest in me. Did that make sense? That was really complicated, but but it's really sweet if you'll get it. If 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 you are Christ's, if you belong to Jesus Christ, and if everything that is Christ's belongs to God, then when the prayer is lifted, when you pray, you're not, you're not just coming like some stranger off the street. You're coming as one of his children. And of course he's going to hear you. Did that make it a little more clear? Okay. So, um, hopefully, hopefully you got that. But, but here's the main point. The main point is that God has a vested interest in his people. Now, here's our last point, and it's glorious, and I can't spend lots and lots of time on it, unfortunately. Um, But our last point is that Christians glorify Christ. Verse 10, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am glorified in them. Now, pause and think about who he's talking about. He's talking about people who are about to run away from him. He's talking about people who are going to verbally deny that they knew him. He knows that. And he looks at them and says, I'm glorified in these guys. And that should really encourage you. Oh man, I see I see I see confused faces and I think it's because I'm not explaining it quite well. But it's like this. When Christ at the end of verse 10 says I'm glorified in them, he he's speaking of people who are sinners just like everyone else. People who are just going to fail and fall and 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 they're going to need help day after day. And they're going to be weak and frail day after day. But he looks at those guys and he says, I'm glorified in them. I'm glorified in them. And, and so here's the question. Well, why? Why is he glorified in them? Is he glorified in them because of who they are in themselves? He's glorified in them because who he's making them to be. That, that's everything from verses 6 and on. I've manifested your name to them. They know you. They know you. I'm glorified in that. They belong to me. You've given them to me. I'm glorified in that. They know where I've come from. They've received my words. They've kept them. And I pray for them. They're yours. I'm glorified in them. I'm glorified in them. And so, I guess the point is this. The point is that, as a Christian, Christ Christ is honored in you and who He is making you to be. He's honored in you, in all of your faults, in all of your failures. In spite of all those things, He is honored in you because of who he's making you to be. Do you know Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10? Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. There's so much more that we could say here. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For we are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship. He has a vested he he started it says in Philippians it says in Philippians chapter one and verse six that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it has he begun a good work in you Christian has he started a good work in you feeling discouraged feeling like you're failing today and tomorrow well yeah you are going to fail both today and tomorrow but he's glorified in who he's making you to be he's He is working in you. And He who began a good work in you will complete it. He's going to complete it. So this is is pretty much where we end in verse 10. And I am glorified in them. It's like that statement in the parable. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, that's what I want to hear. Isn't that what you want to hear? well done good and faithful servant and so and so to to keep you from getting puffed up and thinking oh yeah well i'm gonna i'm i really am a great christian that's that's why you need to realize no i'm his workmanship and it's incredible that he's willing to make something out of me and then he looks at me and says i'm glorified in him i'm glorified in him In all of His frailties, I'm glorified in her. In all her weaknesses, cleaning her up, making her wonderful and beautiful and strong and brave for me, we're described as His bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, the one whom He loves. In, in (laughs) In all of the frailties and weaknesses that He has, yet He looks at us because of what He has done in us and says, I am glorified in them. So then here's the main point. You and I, we might never be somebody's in this world. Going to die in 20 or 30 years, be buried up on a hill somewhere here. here. No one's going to remember who you are in two generations. No one's going to remember who you are. But if you're a Christian... Jesus Christ knows. And being a Christian is the life worth living. You know God. You belong to Him. You receive His Word and you keep His Word. He prays for you and He helps you and saves you to the uttermost. And He says of you, I'm glorified in them. There is no better life than a Christian life. So, we're going to pray and sing a hymn together and then we're going to share some lunch. So, our Father in Heaven, I thank You so much. Thank You so much for this, for this good Word. I explain it so feebly, Lord. Lord, I pray that You would please i pray that you would please grant understanding in spite of me i pray that you would please help us to take hold of these things by faith to trust them and believe them and be encouraged by them and i do pray that you would please be glorified in this church lord make us make us to be a bright light for you and i do pray for any for any here who haven't yet found the savior oh lord would you would you bring them whether they've been in this church for 2 weeks or whether they've been in this church for 2 decades god there we need to know you we need to know you Thank you for being our wonderful and good Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So, we're um, we're going to sing number three hundred and thirty-five. You may, uh, you can just take your seat. Number three hundred and thirty-five. Number three hundred and thirty five. Oh, and I did want to make this note. Do you see there in the third verse um, at, um, on, the, on the top it says with numberless blessings each moment he crowns and filled with his uh, with his fullness divine? Um, that doesn't mean that <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're part of God. I just wanted to make that clear. what what he's talking about is in in Colossians chapter 2 it says that Christ is God and if you are in him then you have all you need. Um, So Colossians 2, 9 and 10 that's what it's talking about there. I just wanted to make that clear before we sing it. But um, number 335 He hideth my soul. O wonderful Saviour is Jesus my Lord, O wonderful Saviour to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, Where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand. And covers me there with His hand. O wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved, He giveth me strength as my day. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock That shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love And covers me there with His hand And covers me there with His hand With numberless blessings each moment He crowns And filled with His fullness divine I sing in my rapture, O glory to God, For such a Redeemer as mine. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock That shadows a dry, thirsty land. HE HIDETH MY LIFE IN THE DEPTHS OF HIS LOVE AND COVERS ME THERE WITH HIS HAND AND COVERS ME THERE WITH HIS HAND WHEN CLOTHED IN HIS BRIGHTNESS TRANSPORTED I RISE To meet Him in clouds of the sky. His perfect salvation, His wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, That shadows a dry, thirsty land He hideth my life In the depths of His love And covers me there with His hand And covers me there with His hand